He says, what is it that makes you different? How can you be different? How can people remember you? You have to sit down and figure out what that is, and you have to figure out a way to say it so people will remember it. Welcome to the Resilient Faith at Work podcast, where you will find and apply God's wisdom to your work. I'm Ken Kennard, and our team at Vocal Center aims to inspire, challenge, and equip you to follow Jesus in the vocational dimension of your life. As we get started, I want to thank our generous listeners who have become donors and have made this work possible. We're so grateful for your support. You know, VOCA funders sign up to change lives by changing work. And if you like this content and want to become a partner with us to reach more workers, invest in VOCA. You can do that by going to vocacenter.org give and join us today. This episode is the third of a three-part conversation about resilient leadership with David Ridley, the founding CEO of Invesco Real Estate. For several years, David has been working with us on this framework that we use for helping businesses and organizations thrive in the midst of constant change and disruption. So if you lead a team and you want your team to win despite the challenges, then this series is for you. All right, here we go. Let's listen in. Uh, It's great to be having this conversation and just fleshing out in some detail Uh, not really a deep dive like we do when we work with clients, but we're fleshing out in some detail the three-pillar model that you use to develop a winning culture. And pillar three is really all about winning. It's about the client experience. Um, So let's just jump right into it. What is pillar three? Pillar three has everything to do with winning. Um, You know, you can have a, a very firm personal foundation you can have great teams, but if you're not winning, nothing matters. Right? Define winning. Say more about that. Winning means finding new clients and signing them up and most importantly, keeping them because mm. they're too hard to get in our business. Okay. And that's attracting elements. And a lot of businesses. That's true. A lot of businesses. Uh, some are more retail oriented and they come and go quicker And ours when you're attracting the state of California to be a client for their teacher retirement system. There aren't many of those. Right. And the competitions, hundreds of firms trying to get them. So they're too hard to get to then just lose them. So it's getting, it's winning, and that's hard enough, but then keeping is our nomenclature. And you, you had to learn how to do this as a team. Yes. You couldn't build a team until you learned to you know, release your business to God, to be humble, to be open to the inputs and gifts and contributions of everybody on that securely team. centered yes. securely centered extreme team engagement then we get to the client what were some were there some events early on where you realized we're not doing really well on this client side like or you just realized we need to i mean was it just the competition and the big big players you're up against or were there some client interactions that didn't go as well as you thought and i mean you said you only had one client for 10 years so i've got to imagine there was some frustration along the way yeah, uh, we started off, we had one client, okay? Uh, no, one client still generated cash flow, and yes. so there was you were able to kind of keep the, the, the lights on in the little shop with the one client. Yes, uh, we, we only lost a little money one time. Usually we could break even. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened was I was invited to come start this firm on the pretense that there was one client at our doorstep 
that they would have to interview me because I'd be a new person in this firm and have confidence in me to run that relationship along with four other managers. It was a big one uh, down in Austin. It was a teacher retirement system. So we got it. The other promise they made is they would help me get other clients, and I was naive enough to believe that at the time. That that never happened. So, uh, And it was highly competitive to get huh. these kind of clients. And I was 29 years old, brand new at this, and so the, the future didn't look good uh, in terms of growth at that point in my career. Um, but this client at that time, they've had many staffs since that point, 1983, but they had a very difficult staff. One guy in particular was an ogre and just loved to threaten to fire you and kick you around and, and I mean, just all kinds of things that would just make you want to pull your hair out. Hence all that stress you talked about when we were talking about Pillar yeah. One. Now, look, it, that made me realize how important it was to serve the client and to manage the client. Hmm. There were other firms that we knew, some of them co-managers with us on this account, that had billions of dollars in funds under management in commingled funds, smaller pension funds in their general part and their limited partnership funds. They didn't have to go face to face every day with a client. They just mailed out quarterly reports. They had no idea. They didn't come from the same culture we did about how important each client was one at a time, hmm. keeping everyone, bringing one on at a time, which we were doing big institutional clients. So I really learned the importance of client relationships by cutting our teeth on one client at a time, which is all we did for the first 10, 15 years. And this whole focus on client service really came into clarity, not when you started with the single client, but later, a few years later, when you sold to Invesco and you started to get immersed into their culture and their client centricity. Talk a little bit about that and the moment when it became very clear that Pillar 3 has to happen. Yes. Okay, so the company we were part of went bankrupt. I got a call Sunday evening and was told to be down at the conference room downtown Dallas and found out that we, being a fiduciary for a large pension fund, were now going to be operating as part of a holding company that was bankrupt. So we had to get out of there. Otherwise, they would fire us. They can't operate with a funds manager that was in bankruptcy. So we sold ourselves to Invesco. It was a miracle. Great leader over there at the time, a fellow named Charlie Brady, uh, founded Invesco. I went over there with my COO one Saturday morning after they had acquired us to lay out our plan because I was going to show him how we were going to bring on all these clients. I'll never forget, I got five minutes into it, and Charlie just quietly leaned over on the coffee table, and he flipped the book shut, and he says, let's just stop. said, if you can't learn how to win clients and what it takes to win clients, it's not going to be with a brilliant product. It's going to be how you pursue clients, and if you don't know how to win clients, you won't make it. Hmm. So he listed some things that were very important for us to focus on, he didn't do anything for us, but he listed things that they had done that helped them win. We packed our bags and flew back to Dallas, closed our door for uh, any new client activity that we were trying to pursue. And we spent time before it got light in the morning working on our abilities to attract new clients. And when he said that to you, do you was, what was your internal reaction? 
Well, that was kind of threatening to fly all the way over there and be sitting in front of them, have them close our book. Kind of sunk your battleship a little bit because you brought all this presentation. (laughs) We had worked really hard on that. And we were, you know, of the mind that you have a great product, you'd attract clients. Hmm. That was not true. Everybody has great products. It comes down to a lot of other things. So at first it was threatening, but it was also kind of awe-inspiring. This guy knew. Uh, We knew that they walked on water when it came to landing large, big old public pension plans. And that's where most of the money is. Hmm. Corporate as well. But the big state plans, the the public employee pension plans, the teacher pension plans, every they know state how to has win them. in the market. You were trying to win in. They were winning all those, and he could name them, and it, and it was very impressive. But they weren't winning with alternatives. They were willing, winning with like sort of standard equity. They were winning with their standard equity products. Yeah, yeah, uh, stocks and bonds, and they they were highly liked in the market. So, what were some of the key components of that process for you that became kind of embedded in your sense of pillar three? Like what are the, when you think of delivering this elite client experience from the time that you first contact through an ongoing relationship, like what are some of the things that, that, that's, that have lasted as practices that you advise other people to do too? You know, it's, what's really funny, uh, kind of amazing. And my partners and I talked about it all the time. We only saw Charlie in person when he came over and sat down with us. Uh, he even said he was going to sit on our investment committee, but he never saw an investment and committee. And this is Charlie Brady, the Charlie founder Brady, of Invesco. founder of Invesco. We saw him four or five times, and we were like sponges, especially me, in learning from him what it took to actually win, because winning is very difficult in this kind of environment. And so... We learned. Uh, one of the things he told us in that first meeting was the uh, first time I had ever heard at this point in my life what a value proposition was. He says, what is it that makes you different? How can you be different? How can people remember you? You have to sit down and figure out what that is, and you have to figure out a way to say it so people will remember it. Hmm. That was a big, big piece of advice. You can't be like everyone else. You have to figure out how to distinguish yourself just a little bit. Because gatekeepers and eventually the pension funds themselves, so the, consulting yeah. community, the consultants that protect and hire, help the pension funds hire their managers, they want to know who you are and they want to put you in a box so that they can think, man, that's the firm we need to have in this search or one of the firms because they fit what this client's looking for. You can't be all things to all people. So we learned, you know, we had to go do that. We spent a lot of time doing that, hundreds of hours, frankly. People Mm -hmm. wouldn't believe how much time we spent. And not only that, but little things, like take as few people as possible to a presentation. That way you get more contact, more eye time, more conversation with them. Okay, what sound bites are we going to use that they'll remember? Every page in that presentation has to say something, not two things, one thing really, that they're going to remember and that's going to be valuable to them. You had a mantra around that, didn't you? Like yeah. Repeatable. It, you yeah. can't remember the, remember the memorable mantra. Simple, believable, and understandable. Simple, believable, understandable. That's and, it. And let me tell you, we took that serious. I heard that and I thought, 
what is that? And then we realized, here's the deal. Keep it simple, believable, and understandable. Pension fund people understand that. Now they can ask questions, and then we have our support files behind us. We then really open the door and go deep with them. But don't talk about how big you are and how great you are and then go deep immediately so they don't understand what you're talking about. Hmm. And that's what most people do. So from the very first page, we wouldn't talk about how big Invesco was. We'd talk about only their size in the sense that it was a secure platform for us. So hmm. we'd always be there. Right. Okay, back so to that stability piece. That back to the part stability. of your value problem. Yes. So we got our Ph.D., in being prepared and winning. Hmm. And, and it was simple, simply that we worked really hard on that. Based on our research, the top challenge people are facing at work today is burnout. And ignoring the warning signs can lead to more serious health issues, decreased performance, and an overall decline in your quality of life. At Voca Center, we understand how burnout can mess with your well-being, productivity, and overall happiness. That's why we created the Burnout Recovery Program. Reignite your fire and embark on a journey to lasting well-being with our Burnout Recovery Program. To find out more and to get started, visit vocacenter.org slash burnout recovery. That's vocacenter.org slash burnout recovery. If you're overwhelmed, or if you've already gotten to the burnout stage, you don't have to stay there. Reach out to our coaching team. We're here to help. Part of the part of the pillar three process for you and your team was postmortems. Yep. Talk um, about that a little bit. And that was a kind of a it was a meeting, right? And there were rules yeah. for that. Yeah, it was uh, within five days of losing a search which we won, fortunately, more than our share, but we lost more than we won, which is expected. And I don't know what our batting average was. I wish I knew that. But we would get together in a room, and again, same rules, but we'd check your ego at the door, sit down, you've got to talk, and we would be very transparent about around how we lost that client. I can tell you now, I kept a list I don't know why I wrote it in pencil, but I had a pencil in my drawer with a tablet, and I kept that list for a long time. And we made every mistake possible. And it's funny, over a few years, you don't make those mistakes anymore. So Hmm. we got better and better. Now, we also said we'd do this around our wins. We never did one. That's interesting. Uh (laughs) We never got around to the postmortem around a win. But we did them around every loss, and and to this day, I remember the mistakes we made. Because they're stinging. You know, you remember them, you don't make them anymore. Talk a little bit about the connections between Pillar 3 and spiritual principles or things that Jesus taught. You know, there's lots of verses around being a servant, hmm. and that's what we are. Uh, some, some big companies honestly don't understand that. We're there to serve, okay? They are the, our king, in a way, in that in that atmosphere you right. know, we're there to please them to make them look smart and make their life easier hmm. so we figured out ways to communicate with them that were different through a team we figured out ways to make ourselves accountable to them through what we called a report card that no one else was doing hmm. and we found our ways that we found out ways to be thought leaders for them 
So we could even handle things that weren't in our bailiwick by having relationships with people within our bigger company or others who could come in and handle them. Our goal was to kind of become part of their staff, okay? And if we could do that, we could hang on because guess what? Investments are risky, and you're going to lose some time. Right. And you hold on when you don't, when you become invaluable. So that's why we weren't fired for Hmm. 30 years. It's trust, right? It was building trust and value Hmm. around our relationship. Yeah. And there's so much to say there's more, but we, we had people who are really good at, at getting in the door and building relationships. And that's not me, but I was good at holding hands once I was in the door. And then we had teams who we called LAMP teams, don't ask me why, but we had great LAMP teams with each one of these clients. And every month you'd hear an announcement, Nevada LAMP team meeting in 10 minutes. And well, it's, it's part of branding. It's like a branded, unique client you, you name it they service. remember it yeah and that's so part of it too. we had we had names and those those teams rarely change or they could sometime but they kind of go cradle to grave you know hopefully you never got to the grave part <laughs> right so there's a service this ethic of service that's fueling a lot of this it also sounds to me like as we discussed this today that there's also a sense of honoring your clients like you're partners with them you're not condescending you're not the superior um you're serving them and honoring them and in this process it sounds like more maybe the so than some of your competitors yeah our dna because of that one client for 10 year thing our dna and all of us had to do with complete service complete fear around serving them really well and we had competitors that we knew well, and they didn't have that same level of concern because they had so many clients, smaller clients, but hundreds and thousands of them where they didn't have to be so service-oriented. Hmm. So we won a probably a larger share than we should have of the big elephants because we learned how to give that kind of service. And later on, we found we couldn't have more of those, so we did switch over to the smaller clients eventually, and we could handle them in what we call funds. Hmm. So that this model doesn't just apply to folks in, you call them whales, but they're huge clients that are going to, you know, it takes probably a long sales cycle. You can, you can invest a lot of team hours in winning those clients. Cause when you do win them, it's a significant amount of revenue, but not everybody's in a business like that. Not everybody is. Um, when we did not win them, it costs us not only a tons of time and opportunity cost, it costs us a lot of money yeah. in preparation time. But you're right. And so if you're going to go down the scale even to retail in terms of size, it's a whole different ethos. But I found it was really great because the emphasis and the value on clients pretty much stayed the same. Hmm. But I can also understand now in the smaller clients how it could get to be taken for granted. Yeah. So that's pillar three. Pillar three is delivering this elite client experience. You're using the centered leader, the uh, extreme engagement of the team to, to, to consistently go and be above and beyond. It starts with the preparation. It starts with understanding your value prop, which is really about your place in the market and then communicating that. And then once, once, as you get your foot in the door, delivering value and service over time and, and rigorously kind of reviewing and, Pitches that don't go well and learning everything you can from them. Yeah, so all, the, those the yeah. all those are pieces of all those are pieces of pillar three. Yeah. Um, 
as we kind of wrap up this conversation about the three pillars, talk about how they relate to each other. They're connected. They're not independent. Yeah, what's, what's interesting is that it takes a centered person to be holistic enough to value other human beings so that they can then really engage in building strong, dedicated teams and an ethos around which people realize we are team-based, that's how we function. We win and we lose as teams. Then, guess what? Clients get to know you intimately over years. Hmm. So they get to see it's not one person dominating a room, right? They get to see we have strong teams and we're smarter because of that. They get to know that. But here's the real catch. Not only does it help us win clients, it helps us, and we use this because you've got to win or nothing else matters. Right. But it helps us solve all the other problems. We have war rooms around other things. It started off with winning clients. It ended up in any major decisions facing the firm. we got a war room that. You'll hear it in the hall. Mm-hmm. That's a war room issue because there's lots of big decisions. But if you're not winning first, those decisions don't ever happen. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of hanging on with three clients, and we – we have so many uh, competitors we knew. We had one, two, or three clients, and that was it. And they they held on with those, but we knew we wanted – we we didn't have a choice. We needed to grow. Okay, we're part of a public company, and we weren't owning ourselves independently. We didn't want to stay small, but we couldn't stay small by definition. So we needed to win, and we needed to expand in a way that we didn't diminish the quality of what we're doing. So somebody hears all this and they're excited and they think, I want to go and use the three pillar model in my company or my, or my team, it could just be my team. Uh, I mean, you know, that may be the scope of authority or that somebody has, or it could be their whole organization. Where should they start? Well, it's, it's gotta be pillar one. I mean, it, it is sequential because if you are a jerk, you, you may have people work for you, but they're not going to be the best people. They won't stay around. And you're not going to be happy. Your family's not going to be happy. You have to find your connection. And in my case, it's it's my faith. Mm-hmm. But you have to be solid. And even in the companies I know were not faith-based and any other leadership that I knew of, still great people that I respected and loved, many of them, they, they had strong centers. They recognized the value of their team, and they nurtured that. Right. And they were tough. Deep respect and value in people. Absolute tough, tough competitors, some of them. We had maybe 10 firms that would always show up against us. And you know how you knew you were good? I was told once because people fear to compete against you. And uh, we were were one of those. And our COO over, or C, what was he, COO over in Atlanta once said he'd done his own due diligence and said, You guys are one of the firms that people fear competing against. Hmm. And we wanted to grow more of those companies across our platform and that's why we wrote this curriculum the three pillars right that's great well david thank you so much for your insight thanks for spending the time thanks for uh, sharing your story and your wisdom and uh, we hope that those of you out there in podcast land are encouraged to think holistically about the way you approach your leadership it's not just about sales or winning business it's not just about building a team it's also about you and what you hang on to for your sense of security and direction and purpose in life. And they are all connected. They're all connected, particularly for organizations that want to build resilient teams that will compete and win over time. 
Thanks, David. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening. As we close this episode, I'm going to use the H word, help. First, help us help you. Do you want to grow in your effectiveness as a worker and a leader? Are you wondering if you're in the right job or career? Maybe you lead a team and wonder how to make that better. Go to vocacenter.org consult for an easy scheduling link and book your appointment with one of our great coaches today. We are ready to help you. Second, help us help others. This podcast is brought to you by generous donors who change lives by changing work through their investment in VOCA. If you like this content and want to partner with us to reach more workers, donate to VOCA. Go to vocacenter.org give and begin your partnership today. We'll see you next time on the VOCA podcast, where we help you build resilient faith at work.